0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 1st, we're studying Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You and I are justified. We are declared righteous in the same way Abraham was through faith in God's promise. So what are the implications of this gracious gift of God? St. Paul now begins to expound upon the fruits of justification for the Christian. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today. We have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: It's good to be back.
0: Pastor Preuss, the first word in our text today is therefore, which is always a a good reminder to us that Scripture continues to build upon itself. We need to know what's come before. So the therefore that we've got in Romans 5, verse 1, what's what's Paul drawing from? What's the basis he's laid out that we need to know going into chapter 5?
1: Yeah, so throughout Romans, the first two chapters of Romans, Paul has been describing how the righteousness of God is revealed in two ways. One is through the law which uh, brings wrath against all ungodliness and uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then the other is through the gospel or through faith or through Christ. And that is uh, the righteousness of God through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who who made full satisfaction for our sins, who uh, turned God's wrath away, who fulfilled the law for us. And so Paul is explaining how the law has been fulfilled. And in fact, we we even fulfill the law by having faith in Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And so, so he, then he gets into in chapter four, he gets into talking about how it's, you know, it's by faith and not by works. And, and that this is the same faith that Abraham had. And so he goes on to talk about how we are Abraham's children. If we have the same faith that he had. And so it's not about the, uh, the the natural children of Abraham, but the but the spiritual children. And of course, Paul's gonna sort of return to that a little bit later on in chapters nine through eleven. Um but then he ends his fourth chapter by saying that uh you know that Abraham trusted in God who who uh who gave his son who who was given up for our sins and was raised again for our justification and so that's what what's great there so you mentioned the the first word in chapter five is uh, is therefore in the Greek it's actually decaiostents that is having been justified so it's so so the so so the, the the main theme really of the entire epistle is being justified therefore now you know what follows this so being ju- justified therefore by faith. And uh, and so he ends chapter four with talking about how he's, how Jesus was raised for our justification, or you could translate that as for the sake of or because of our justification. Um, And and, uh, and as Paul unpacks it more in chapter five, we see how our justification actually, while we have it by faith, uh, we we actually have it, we, we have it by faith presently. And we experience it, you know, through our through our life. But this this justification, in fact, was accomplished and existed long before we even believed. And so that's what Paul's going to get into here is he's going to get into the experience of this, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, the fruits of this, but then grounding it in the objective, you know, uh, foundation of it all. Like where did this actually happen? How did you know, how did the love of God, uh, you know, the love of God that's poured into our hearts, how did this how is this actually accomplished for us? And so so that's where we are right now in, in chapter five. So he's still talking about justification, um a big one on justification, but he's getting he's getting more into the nitty gritties of both our life uh and then later on, which we won't cover today. Uh, he'll get into the life of Jesus. That is his obedience, and how how his obedience, uh, you know, brought righteousness to all sinners who were who were who inherited sin from Adam from Adam's disobedience. So, so that's where we are now. Is 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 so so we we have been justified, and we have and and we've been justified by faith, and now we have peace with God. And so, what are the implications of all that?
0: Let's go ahead and dig right into the text then. We're in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, That's the text for today, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Pastor Price, I want to, having read the text now, I, wanna, I, want you to have, I want you to go back a bit and, and just dig in a little more to what you're talking about. I think you've used both terms, objective and subjective, and sometimes we will use those terms in theology to talk about justification. Objective justification, subjective justification. What, yeah. what are those two? How do they relate to each other, and how do we see it in Paul
1: here in Romans 5? Objective and subjective justification are two angles uh, at which at which uh, the, the we can look at uh, God's act of justifying the sinner. Uh, they're not two justifications. Um, they are they're simply two aspects of it. And so the the subjective justification, which is what we which is what we usually speak of, uh, because we're going to talk about faith. Uh, that is that we subjectively, that is that the subject, you personally, uh, are righteous through faith. That you receive this righteousness through faith. That God declares you righteous. That God counts your faith as righteousness. That is um, objective justification. Is the part of justification that is uh, that faith depends on, and that is that is uh, what Christ did on the cross, on um, what He did arising from the dead, that he was raised for our justification. Second uh, Corinthians five, eighteen, nineteen, 18, uh, 19, Paul says that God was in, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the word of reconciliation. So, so this, this objective part of justification is that Christ, it, it's talking about God's work and God's word. Um, and the subject of justification, I suppose, is also talking about God's work, that is, creating faith in our hearts, because uh, you can't separate the two. But, 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 uh, but the object of justification is that God, in his gospel, declares the sinner righteous, and that, uh, and that Christ has taken away the sin of the whole world. And, and therefore, uh, this, this declaration of righteousness is one that applies to every sinner. Um, You can say that means you can go to anyone, no matter who he is, and say Christ is your righteousness and uh, and say Jesus died for you, that uh, Jesus has uh, Jesus's righteousness um, avails before you or his obedience avails before you to the Father as righteousness. You can say that to anyone. And if he if he believes it, he's not adding anything to it. He, He simply claims it as his own. If he doesn't believe it, he's calling God a liar. And Paul addresses this in chapter three. You know, what if some do not believe? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Certainly not. And then he quotes from Psalm one sixteen: Let God be true, and every man a liar. Uh, so, 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 so again, they're not two. They're not two different acts of justification. Although they might be. They 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 might have. You might have different. Uh, different phenomenon or f- phenomena going on. So for example, I didn't have faith until about 32 years ago, right? Whereas the, the righteousness by which I stand before God has been given, has been given to me one for me declared for me in the gospel from even before I was born. Um, and, and so this is, um, so this is the point here of of talking about, of emphasizing that it's objective, is to talk about the timelessness of it all, that we have it presently now by faith. We possess it by faith, but we can be sure and certain that it truly is uh, the righteousness that avails before God, because it is it is timelessly declared in the gospel, declared at the full, uh, fulfilled at the fullness of time by Christ, by his uh, obedience, suffering and death in our place and declared by his resurrection for all. Um, so that, so, object, so in short, in summary, objective justification is that God, justify, that God justifies the sinner through faith. The uh, subject of justification is God justifies the sinner through faith, right? So the, they're, they're, it's the same declaration. Um, it's just that we're making the distinction between the timelessness and objectivity of the declaration, that is won by Christ for all and declared for all sinners, and then the uh, present, you know, possessing of it by the individual through faith. <laughs> if that makes so, sense. If, if, if you want any clarification, just go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think I think that's good, and, and I think so. It's I like that. It's the same statement, but different emphases there. That we've been justified. This is this is God's work through faith. This is how it comes to us. So. Since we've been justified by faith there in, in verse 1 of our text, we have peace with God. It sounds like he's beginning to expound on more on the what we would call the subjective nature of justification, the, the fruits of this within the Christian's life.
1: Yeah, and he's really—he is, um, and yet he's always grounding it on the objective part. So we have peace with God. That's objective. That is what is— you know, as 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 he says elsewhere, uh, boy, is it is it Colossians that he uh, that by the peace of his cross, and by the blood of his cross, he has he has uh, he has made peace by the blood of his cross. Um and I suppose Ephesians two talks in that way too, that he has torn down the wall of hostility um by his blood. so <clears throat> this is uh, this is an objective reconciliation that we have with God, which he's going to get into more further as we go along here. And yet, then, but we have it. So we we personally have it, um, just as we personally have the objective righteousness. So we personally have the objective favor and peace and good good relationship with our Father. Um, and then, but then, as you say, the subjective part is he's getting in. Then to you know, therefore, you know, we can we we have access, or therefore we you know we stand in grace um and we boast in the hope of the glory of God right so this is something that we therefore can do and then he gets into the uh the fruits there uh but uh but speaking of the speaking of 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 the rest of what he says there in, in verse 1 so he he says uh that we have access through him uh through whom we have access through whom we now have access into this grace in which we stand and what's interesting that word have like for have access and stand um are in the aorist or past tense and so we are so so we, we he, these are these are things that have been accomplished for us he 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 gave us access right and we, we we've actually been standing in this grace and so so it's it again it's that kind of combining the, the the present with the past uh into one and then as we'll see we' we'll, it combines the future into it as well and that's where hope comes in hope is that which looks forward to the future so so yes i mean it's all subjective right it's all the christian possessing this and experiencing it um but i think the 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 main emphasis here is that it is uh probably a even better di- distinction or more helpful distinction for our purposes is uh, it's not so mu- it's not, it's not just a uh, objective and subjective justification. Well, I do think that that is a very helpful distinction, but another distinction is, is the past present and future um, of this righteousness of this redemption. Uh, it, it, and that's what Paul's really getting in. So, you know, th- there's this, uh, you know, we have been justified, And we have, we and then we therefore have peace with God presently, and we have been given access into this grace, which we have been standing in, um, and therefore we presently boast. And then he's going to get into talking about how you know we we will be saved from wrath. But see that the the the, he's already kind of alluding to that when he says we boast in in the, the 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 hope of the glory of God. So that hope again. Is that future, that future uh, gift? So, so again, it's that past, present, and future aspect of it, which is both objective and subjective.
0: Wow, that that's that's a lot of good stuff, Pastor Price. So, <laughs> objective, subjective, past, present, future. I I, I like this. Start, so, you I think you're you're moving us there already. Start start to take us then into, well, we we uh-huh. rejoice or we. We boast, right? I mean, do you think boast is better than rejoice in verses two and three? I think I think it's listed as a boast is listed as the the alternate translation there in yeah. uh, even in the ESV. So that two and that we're, three
1: and eleven, yeah, absolutely and 11 too. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was, I remember um, when I was in uh, in my first year of seminary, um, I was not educated in the greek language until seminary and so i was a little bit behind but um a good friend of mine uh uh who was who i majored in i think biblical studies uh he was a classmate of mine uh, pastor westromoic um uh, taught me greek (laughs) and so he was like his second year and i was in my first year and i remember we would always we all we i loved to joke with him about how i would remember certain greek words so the word kelkami means boast um, and uh, that's the word that's used here. And the way that I always remember kaukamai is that it sounds like, like someone's cocky, right? Like someone is a cocky person both, and so I would, uh, uh, Wes and I would would, would would always laugh about that. Um, and uh, and so that's the word he's using here, that he he's uh, he's cocky in the, you know, you, if, if you will, the colloquialism. He's, he's, he's prideful even, not in himself, but in the hope of the glory of God. Right, he boasts, and th- and this is the this is the same word he uses in 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 uh, Ephesians two and uh, Ephesians two verse nine, and then in First Corinthians chapter one, I think verse thirty one. You know, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And Ephesians two verse nine is after he's explaining how we're saved by grace and not by works and through faith, and um, he says in order that no one may boast, right? So that we don't boast in ourselves, but here we absolutely boast in uh in the hope of the glory of god and uh and and so this is this is uh this, this is paul is being very bold here and uh and so it, it's kind of it's it's actually kind of unfortunate that they just translate this as rejoice because it's almost like they're trying to temper uh paul's uh paul's language I and mean, then maybe i don't want to put any motives on there but it's, it does i at least inadvertently kind of temper his language we should understand this as Boast right we boast in this hope, uh, which is the opposite of this would be that we would be ashamed of this hope, going back to Romans one sixteen you know i 'm not ashamed of the gospel
0: right so so take us then into this this matter of boasting we we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and then more than that, we boast in our in our sufferings and, and that that has always stood out to me in this passage, particularly. You've got all these wonderful Christian theological terms. We're justified by faith. We've got peace. We've we've obtained access. We've got grace. We're we're boasting hope in God's glory. And then all of a sudden, we're we're rejoicing. We're boasting in in our sufferings. And and that's always. I, I mean, that doesn't sound like something I want to do. Why 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 is Paul making that move here? What's the move he's making there in verse three?
1: yeah so he's what he's getting into is is uh is the subjective uh experience of like how do we actually experience this this righteousness of God in our lives. So God has declared us righteous. We have this by faith uh in christ um we ha- we have this access to God's grace. and so now what does this look like uh in our uh in our in our lives? And, uh, and it, it, how, is this, how is this played out? And it, it looks like suffering, um, afflictions. And, uh, and, and so the, the boasting in your afflictions is, has to do with, uh, with being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, and, and, and it, you know, as Jesus says, unless, a, unless you, lo- you, you lose your life, then you will—unless you hate your life, then you'll lose it. You know, he who loses his life will find it for eternal life. Um, the, the, the student is not above his master, in other words, <clears throat> Christ suffered, Christ died, and so having been the benefit, having been the beneficiaries, um, of Christ's suffering and death, now we actually follow in his footsteps, and in doing this, we boast because this is working out, uh, our. It's working out our salvation, so to speak, that is not that we're earning our salvation through this, but that our salvation is sort of unraveling that is the 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 salvation that hasn't been revealed yet that is the future salvation um uh, as as saint peter says <clears throat> in in first Peter chapter one that he's by by the power of God through faith he's he's uh guarding us uh for uh keeping us for the uh for the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last day. And so, so waiting for this salvation, working out this salvation in fear and trembling, actually this word that Paul uses in Philippians 2, verse 12, where he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling for this God who, who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, that word work out is what Paul uses here in, uh, in, verse, uh, in, in verse 3, where he says that, that afflictions produce Patience, right? Or affliction produces patience. Um, the word there for produce is, is that work out, and so it's it's like it's it's like God is working through this in order to kind of unravel that righteousness which He's already declared to us, which is already ours fully in Christ. Um, it's it's accomplished for us fully outside of us. Um, but as we look forward to the future, as we have as we boast in that hope. We therefore can boast in the sufferings of this life because we know that this is how God is going to prepare for us uh what he has promised us. And Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians as well, you know, that these that these are these, these afflictions are preparing for us uh you know the they're preparing for us the glory that is going to be revealed. So um so yeah, there there's uh the, so when you talk about afflictions, though, what, what does he mean by afflictions? And I think that's, a, that, that's, that's probably a, a discussion that we could have for a long, long time. Um, but I'll just briefly say that the afflictions that we have in this life are not limited to being thrown in jail um, and being attacked by, you know, or even verbally attacked or whatever. I mean, those certainly are, are big ones. But uh and, and and we and we should we should understand that it's much deeper than that, and it's much more than that. That it's 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 having to deal with the devil, the world, and your own sinful nature which still hangs around you while you live this life as justified before God and while you press on toward this hope. That you have these three basic enemies the devil, the world, and their sinful flesh, and the world being not just those who throw rocks at your face, um, but but just the spirit of the world, the, the, the mentality of the world, world, the pride of the world, the boastfulness right of the world. And instead of that, we boast in our suffering. that is, we, we, we struggle against our sinful nature, we struggle against temptation. we, we stand up for the truth, and, and we get you know maybe marginalized for that. Uh, and uh, and, and that, those are the afflictions that are working through endurance and that are therefore working through character and that word for character is it comes from the word uh test so it's like a tested character and uh and then that all is producing hope that does not put us to shame so so you can see how like the hope that we have is sort of is sort of like faith as it is experienced in the concrete right or or it, it's it's faith as it is experienced in the anticipation i should say so so just like love is faith as is experienced in, in living the Christian life and in pursuing righteousness uh, uh, in, in, by loving our neighbor and, and seeking to please God. Um, so, uh, so hope is faith as it is acting out in, in looking forward to the goals. And it hurts, um, but, it's, uh, but it doesn't put us to shame um, because it endures.
0: Mm -hmm. i'm going to bring us back to that matter of hope not putting us to shame on the other side of the break pastor preuss we're looking here at romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 on sharper iron we're going to take a short break but we will be right back please stick around Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, inviting you to tune in this weekend at 7.45 a.m. Central, when I'm going to be sharing thoughts with you about
1: Jesus eating the 5,000 miraculously. So how does that miracle, accomplished with five barley loaves and two fish, apply to your life and mine today? And I expect a
0: miracle like that. Join me this Saturday and Sunday morning for Moments of Assurance weekend right
1: here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news.
0: Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. For years, on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8.15 a.m. worship comes from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri with Presiding Pastor Rev. Matt Clark. Our 10.45 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri with Presiding Pastor Rev. Timothy Ossermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, May first, we are looking at Romans chapter five, verses one through eleven with Pastor Andrew Price, who serves Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and Saint Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were, were talking about this hope, which you which you said is is faith working itself out, looking toward the future. Faith is is, is experienced in that pain. But at the same time, Paul says that that hope does not put us to shame there. And that sounds like there's a a bit of an echo from from what I've been calling his thesis statement for the book of Romans there in verses in back in chapter one, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. How, How does what Paul says here in verse in chapter five relate back there to chapter one?
1: Yeah, that's right. I love how you say it's a thesis statement. That's right. it, it kind of uh, establishes the, the 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 whole shape of his in, his entire epistle there in first first uh or in the first chapter verses uh, 16 and 17. But yeah, so what Paul's doing here is he's really getting at what well, why would you be ashamed, right? So, you know, he says I am not ashamed of the gospel in in verse 16, that's after he talks about how he you know, went to go preach to them in Rome. And there is um, you know, the the context behind it all is that, you know, obviously uh Paul is receiving a lot of pressure from both uh both his fellow Jews as well as uh Gentiles who don't want to hear him preach about Jesus. And uh but here in 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 chapter five he is he's getting into well why you would tempted to be ashamed but then he he reinforces it by saying and this doesn't put you to shame so so the so 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 both i am not ashamed of the gospel and uh the gospel doesn't put me to shame right so and, and this is you know jesus says he who is ashamed of the son of man him also will the son of man be ashamed of when he comes in his in his uh in his glory with his angels And so this uh, being ashamed is actually the opposite of confessing, boldly confessing. And so when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, I confess the gospel. And this gets to chapter 10, you know, that, that you believe with your heart and you're justified. You confess with your mouth and you are saved. And so this believing and confessing go together. And so here he returns to this where we're justified by faith. We believe it. And now we boast in it. We're not put to shame um, and so, in other words, we confess it mm-hmm.
0: so then, and he continues then says because because god 's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, Take us in particularly those words poured into our hearts you got some some good notes on on what paul 's getting at here,
1: yeah, so that word for poured poured in or poured out into um, is uh, is used in acts uh chapters 2 and 10 and, and also Titus 3 uh, to refer to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which is, which, which is what Paul is re- referring to here, that is uh, specifically the love of God by the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts. So, so the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out, uh, which is uh, you know, given in Joel chapter 2, is that God would pour out his Spirit. And this, but this word for pour out is also often used to describe the shedding of blood. Uh, the shedding of blood of the of the martyrs of the prophets, um, even the the pouring out of of, uh, of Judas's insides uh, when he hanged himself, um, but most notably, it is describing the pouring out of Jesus's blood, and it's used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's uh, accounts of the the words of institution of the Lord's Supper, where Jesus says, "This is this is my well," just paraphrasing, it, "This is my blood." Uh, which is poured out for you, or the blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for you uh, and 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 for many, for the forgiveness of sins, and so you can see how the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, uh, which in Titus three is is happens in baptism. Paul describes it being you know the washing of regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us through Jesus Christ, uh, so that having been justified by his grace we may become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So the, the, the pouring out of the Holy spirit, the pouring out of the love of God and the pouring out of the blood of Jesus all go together. There are three that bear witness. John says in first John chapter five, the spirit, the water and the blood. And that's why Paul can say in chapter six of Romans that we are, we are baptized, which is essentially a work of the Holy spirit into the death of Jesus. And so the blood, we, John can speak in Revelation about how we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb, right? That we baptize, we're baptized by his blood or washed by his blood, which is really what baptism means. So you see how that, there is a a baptismal language going on here when he talks about the pouring out of the love of God into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Um, And we should, when we think of the pouring out of of the love of God, well he's going to go on and talk about how this love of God was established or was or was shown and it is through giving his son up into death right so mm-hmm. so we can go on from there
0: right so i mean and i think this is where that where you said earlier the how we see the past the present the future of justification all come into play together Paul's Paul's been talking a lot about the present the present experience of it in the Christian's life that that God's love is in our hearts right now and now he's it sounds like he's going to take us back into the the past and that mm-hmm. that grounds that objective grounds for the justification take us into verses 6 through 8
1: Yeah, exactly. Um so what you see here in verses 6 through 8 and um it, it, and and really, actually, verses six through through ten, you have Paul building up in uh, in how he describes our condition, and uh, and then therefore building up in in how he is really articulating the grace of God, the love of God that is the work of Christ. And so, this, the thing is that we don't simply trust in the love of god in some abstract way right you know people like to say that john 316 is the is the uh, gospel in a nutshell and i agree but but it but it's worth unpacking and in fact i would say actually the gospel in a nutshell would be romans 116 and 17 as you just uh, mentioned before but 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 again we got to unpack that we don't simply rely on god's attributes Right. So when, we, when we're talking about the love of God, this isn't just an attribute of God. It's not just an invisible attribute that we just kind of meditate upon. That's that's a very Muslim way of looking at God. You know, The Muslims just kind of think about God's attributes and um, and hope that he'll that he'll uh, swing <laughs> toward his mercy <laughs> um, uh, and, and and not toward maybe another attribute like his like his justice or might or something like that. Um, but no, here, the, the 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 love of God is actually revealed to us, and we can actually identify it in the very work of God and what he has done in Christ. And so he so He gets into this, uh, talking about our condition that we were weak, uh, yet at the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly. And again, he's going back to Romans chapter 1. So in Rome, we, we just were talking about Romans 1, 16, 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, there is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes? Uh, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Uh, for the righteous shall live by his faith. And then, verse eighteen, it says, "The wrath of God is revealed uh, from heaven upon all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men." And so now he's he's returning to that ungodliness, to the ungodly. And so while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. And then and then he 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 goes on. Uh, uh, to, to talk about then how, you know, just kind of address sort of the human reason aspect of this or sort of the, you know, the, how, how people would usually think about this. Well, scarcely would anyone ever die for a righteous person, um, perhaps for a good person. One would, one would rarely die. Right. Um, but, uh, but here he, and then, and then this sets up uh where he where he says that uh much more are are we weak it's much more that we're than that we're weak because you can say well we're weak um, but you can maybe still still kind of weasel your way in you know a little bit of your own uh, will you know it's like oh well yeah we're weak but we still have that free will that spark of of uh, of an ability to kind of come to God or accept him into our hearts but then Paul goes on and says okay well uh this is uh this is the that 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 no this is the love of god. The love of God isn't just that you were weak and God kind of helped you along. No, no, no. It is it is it is that he he establishes love for us or he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on in 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 verse in verse ten, and so I'll just kind of skip nine here for just for a second. You can kind of bring us back. And so he says he goes even farther than that. He builds it up even more, and he says that we were enemies, or even haters. You could translate that, and he and we're reconciled to God through the death of His own Son. And so he, so Paul is just kind of building up more and more on really what this love is. We're not simply re, relying on some invisible attribute of God, um, but this is demonstrated to us. It's fulfilled for us at the proper time. Um, that that, and I should mention, I should just comment a little bit on that. That that uh that, that kata chiron that according to the time or at the proper time, that that harkens back to what Paul said in Galatians four verse four, that at the fullness of time God sent forth his son to be born of a woman and born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law. That is all sinners. So this is this is the very fulfillment of history. Um is so again, this this is much more than just um, nice thoughts about love you know the love of god being just kind of this this thing that we that we try to just think about for good vibes no 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 this is accomplished in the very fullness of time in christ by his bitter suffering and death for our sin mm. i
0: the, i appreciate you bringing up john 316 here as, as an example of the gospel in a nutshell and, and one that like you said yes but let's make sure we we unpack that and and a couple of the things that you've said help immensely in that one you know there in john 316 for God so loved the world, I think we often misunderstand that in English, that God loved the world so much, but that's not what the text actually says. The text actually says God loved the world in this way. As you were saying, this isn't some invisible attribute of God that's just sort of out there and, oh, look how much of it he has for us. No, this is, John's, well, Jesus is saying in John, this is the way God shows His love by giving His Son, and then, and then, too, there in in John as well. Who is it that God loves? For God so loved the world. Which, yeah. this is everyone. But but in John's Gospel, the world that's that's the enemies of God. That's <clears throat> those are the ones that didn't receive Jesus when He came to His own. That's that's the world, and so I mean, Paul is I you know he's unpacking that here in in Romans five for us as well, and it just I mean, what. What an amazing thing! I, I preached a sermon one time on on John three sixteen, and I, I invited the congregation to to play Mad Libs with me. So, so finish that sentence how you normally might. For God so loved, blank, But the world, or enemies, or sinners, okay. or the ungodly, the weak, as Paul mm-hmm. fills in that blank. That's not who you'd expect. Yeah. But but God's grace is that's exactly who He loves.
1: Yeah. That's right. No, that's right. I mean, cause, and especially now when we think of the world, I think that, uh, especially in our kind of post enlightenment age, we have, we ge- generally have a pretty positive view of the world, or at least we have some kind of hope for humanity's ability to kind of get together and work things out, you know? And I think especially, you know, going through this pandemic, you hear a lot of that kind of vain talk where we're all going to pull together. And I mean, there's some truth to that. I mean, you should, you should try to work together with those in your in in your town and your your fellow citizens and stuff like that but but really there's this kind of enlightenment idea that through the brotherhood of man we're going to be able to bring everything together and that gets into a lot of evangelical circles um you know that somehow we're going to bring about the the, the the, the the new kind of reign of Christ, you know, this kind of the, you get these dispensationalist ideas of, of, of the millennium and stuff. And it's just this, you know, if we all just kind of work together. And so that's kind of, so it's a, it's a very optimistic view of the world, but I like what you, what you, what you said there, that wait, replace world with enemy, <laughs> replace world with sinners, replace world with ungodly. And that's the thing that ungodly it's godless. I mean, that is a very strong term. This is not just, this isn't just like naughty children, you know. It's very, very strong language he's using here.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that's but that's precisely who that's precisely who who God loves, and He loves in Christ that Christ died for us while we were these things. That's when Christ died for us, and mm-hmm. and then it, as as and as I appreciate you, you connected verses nine through ten to this as well, but it, it does seem to me that starting in verse nine, He starts to go back then, well, back to the future, right? Yeah. Um, verse verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now he, he he's going back and forth there, I think, or maybe between all three, the past, yeah. the present, and especially now into the future of justification in verse 9.
1: Yeah, that's right. The, this 9 is so great, I mean, and you see again how Paul is building, He you know, that, that he keeps saying, uh, but there's more, you know, more than that. Uh, uh, we, and, 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 so you have both the past, uh, that is having been justified. Um, you have, uh, by the way, and by the way, we should, we should really emphasize how that's passive, right? We didn't justify ourselves, but we are passively justified. Um, so faith receives this righteousness. Um, it's not something that we just like obtained through our own, through our own merits. But so the so past tense, past, past, uh, uh a passive tense having been justified, Present tense now, right? That brings us into the present, now, and then in his blood, past, right? And yet present uh, at the same time, you know, and we can't help but think about the blood of Christ that's poured out for us, right? So this is it's connected to the love of God that's poured out into us. And so, and I don't want to make too much out of this. you know, I'm not saying that Paul's directly addressing the Lord's Supper here. But we should certainly think about the Lord's Supper when you go and you receive the body and blood of Jesus, this is the very body and blood of jesus that was that was given and shed and poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins um and by which you are that you were and you are presently justified, and then you have then the future tense of that we will be saved from wrath and again he returns to his theme uh his kind of negative thesis you know to kind of go off what uh. Build on what you were saying uh, in 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 Romans chapter one uh, verses sixteen and seventeen are kind of his thesis on thesis statement on the gospel and his negative thesis in verse eighteen is that the wrath of God has been pour, has, has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, and now he has just said that Jesus died for the ungodly, and now we will be saved from the wrath, from this wrath of God, and so we have so again it, it's not that there is this it's not that the, the righteousness is not fulfilled. It's not that it's not completed. No, it is. I mean, this is all over in scripture. He has perfected for all time those who are, by his one offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I think that's Hebrews 10, right? Or maybe it's nine. I think it's 10. Um, this is This is complete. We are justified now by his blood, which was shed for us, poured out for us, and now we will be saved from wrath. And so again, it it shows the timelessness of the gospel, right? The gospel itself. We often think of the gospel as sort of like a a present thing or a or even a past thing, like I was saved. Um, and certainly, there's truth to that, right? You are being saved, as Paul says in First Corinthians 15. But but remember, Paul calls it the power of God to salvation, looking toward the goal of salvation. So it's the gospel is that objective justification, right? It's not that objective justification is that Jesus died for us and rose again for us and declared the world righteous, and then now subjective justification is that the gospel declares it to us now. No, 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 Objective justification is all that, but it's, that it's also that the gospel declares it presently for all. Subjective is that we receive it through faith, and that God counts our faith as righteousness because he can't deny himself because his gospel declares us righteous. And so his gospel then is timeless. It's both it's past, present, and future. And Paul is really showing that here in verse nine. Mm.
0: So as as he continues then and closes out this section in verses ten and eleven, he brings up I I think to Romans a new image. He's he's talked about justification, this being declared righteous, very very courtroom type language. And, and now in verse 10, he talks about being reconciled to God and, and uses that image. And that's very familiar from, well, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the ministry of reconciliation. What's, the, what's this picture now that, that Paul is using in bringing out reconciliation as he talks about justification?
1: Yeah. And this is, this is going back to the peace that we have mm. uh, toward God um, or before God. Uh, that we are reconciled to Him. This is this is this is the very nature. This get this gets to the or the, this is the very character of God. This gets to the very heart of who God is. That He, you know, there's a great hymn that's in the apocryphal version of the LSB. It's in the pew edition or not? It's in the, the 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 not the pew edition, but it's in the organ edition. But I will sing my Maker's praises. Oh, that's fantastic. And there's one stanza that I I don't know it all by heart, but you know. Uh, uh as the as as a i don't even remember exactly how it goes but it's a, as as the prodigal maybe some someone hopefully is listening and saying i know that him but he says longing to be reconciled um this is you know this is this is how how god is he's always longing to be reconciled and so much that he has fully accomplished it in his son and so it's so it's it's a completed act and so the the the, the reconciliation is all of this. It's r- declaring righteousness, declaring us righteous, saving us, declaring peace, not counting our sins against us. So like Second Corinthians 5 says, attaches to this God reconciling the world to himself and that he does not count their trespass, trespasses against them. Um, and so it, it's really all wrapped up in this word reconciliation. So I peeper, Francis peeper prefers the term objective reconciliation uh, rather than objective justification. He doesn't deny objective justification, of course, but he says a, maybe maybe a better term or a more helpful term is objective reconciliation because, you know, usually when we think of justification, we're thinking specifically of that, that we have this by faith, right? The, the, the kind of present reality uh, by uh, through faith in Christ that we stand righteous before God. Um, and of course that's not, that's not the only aspect of it, but that's usually how we think of it. That's usually how Lutherans have always kind of talked about it. Um, of co- of, but, but, but at the same time, reconciliation really gets to the heart of what we mean by objective justification, that God has truly uh, been reconciled himself to sinners. That is, he has turned his anger away. And that's where you get the, uh, the word propitiation or the, the hilasterion, the, 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 the mercy seat. You know, he has turned his his wrath away. He has been made propitiotus toward us. That is, he has been made peaceful toward us, um, and that we he therefore has reconciled us to himself, and that we now are have this this established peace with God. And again, it is an accomplished reality. You know that he did for his enemies by the death of his son. So this is not this is not something that is incomplete. Uh, and that 's something we really need to emphasize here um, this was something that uh i, I actually about a year ago I, I did a paper on the atonement uh up in minneapolis and uh and in my research i was i was studying this guy named Hugo grotius who was um he was a a, a, a jurist or a lawyer um, who was also kind of a textual critic he was he was a he was of the reformed persuasion that he was an Arminian, and, and for those who don't know what that is, basically an Arminian would be someone who uh, would emphasize that we have a free will, um, that our faith is, some, is partly our doing um, to make that decision, and, uh, and so what, he did, what, what what Grotius says in his commentary in Roman, on Romans 5 is that this, this reconciliation is conditional upon us receiving it. And he he goes to verse 11 saying, we have received reconciliation. And he says, the way that we receive it is through this obedience of faith, right? And the Lutherans, uh, guys like Quenstedt, Abraham Kalav, they responded to Grotius and said, no, that is not true. This is not what the text says. The text is, is, is describing, Paul is describing a completed reconciliation that we thereby receive through faith. So it's, it's not so, – so when we talk about it being past, present, and future, don't misunderstand that to mean that somehow there's more to be accomplished, right? No, there's more to be revealed, right? There's more to be revealed, and that's sort of the unpacking that's going on through the working out, through the afflictions and the uh, patience and the, and, and the, the tested character, and, and then the hope that doesn't put us to shame. That's all working out and unraveling, but it's all fully accomplished right now. And so we receive it through faith, and we have presently peace with God. So again, past, present, and future all wrapped up into one.
0: Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Pastor Preuss, thank you for your time today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me again.
0: The past, the present, and the future all wrapped up into this justification completed for you by Jesus Christ. We have been justified. God has accomplished it while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, rebels against him. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He gave his son to die for for the unlovable, to, to reconcile us. To Himself, and now now we have right now peace with God, we have access to Him through Jesus Christ, and we rejoice, we boast, we boast in the hope that is ours, even in the midst of our sufferings, as that faith works itself out right now in the midst of sufferings, the, the affliction that we receive from from the devil, from the world, from our own sinful nature. God is at work in this justification accomplished in Christ to bring us into eternal life with his son, Jesus Christ. What joy is ours in this justification. I'm your host here on Sharp Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us.